Welcome to this segment of the Cloakroom Conversations. I'm Mike Conaway, former member of Congress, and I have with me today a current member of Congress from the great state of North Carolina, Richard Hudson, serving in his sixth term as representative from North Carolina. Richard, welcome. It's great to be with you. It's always good to see you. We miss you around here. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. If you serve long enough, like you're beginning to, and I did serve, Listeners, you wind up having an awful lot of staffers who move on to bigger and better things, either more important members of the House or they move into committee responsibilities or over the administration. My guest today, also a former staffer of mine, but he has a unique experience among that group. Richard, tell us uh, your walk, how you got to be able to have the high honor of representing a segment of North Carolina and U.S. House of Representatives. I tell you, working for you, Mike, was a real honor. And I had the opportunity to watch one of the best, your character and your energy. And I didn't really appreciate it fully at the time. You were always in a good mood. I thought that was great. But now that I have the burdens and responsibilities you had, I don't know how you were always in a good mood, but I try to emulate you. Working for you certainly was a great preparation for me, getting to see somebody who, who, who did it as well as anyone's ever done it. I was somebody who enjoyed working for members of Congress because uh, I'm very patriotic. I love history. I love government. And it was an opportunity for me to serve my country and help people I really believed in. And and I swore up until about three days before I decided to run that I would never run for office myself. And I really meant it just because I you know, had an opportunity to work for you and, and John Carter and, and just some really great Americans who were, were serving their country well. You know, I was asked to, to come home and run. It took me literally about seven days to to finally decide maybe that was the right thing for me to do. But it's been an incredible experience. And, and I think fact that I'd been a staffer before and, and got to watch people like you do it well and other people maybe not, you know, make mistakes and not do it as well. I think it's really helped me. Just for a listener's sake, I don't pay Richard to say those nice things about me, but the, the great state of North Carolina is better off for having you voting member of Congress rather than uh, in a supporting role in that regard. Given your good experience on both sides as staffer and now as a serving member, what what's different? What is it Oh, you, you got to have to tell the story about the day you came in to tell me you, you were my chief of staff when you decided to uh, uh, to run for Congress. So you need to tell our listeners what uh, how that how that unwound as it as a tour. But give us some sense of, of the difference uh, between being a staffer and being a having that responsibility you talked about of, of actually voting and having those votes recorded for forever and then having to defend those votes uh, you know, back home from time to time. Sure. Well, you know, when I was your chief and was asked to run, I went in to tell you that I was thinking about it. And it was, it was the day you were flying back to Texas and I was nervous about it and didn't know how you'd react. I once saw you know, a great temper tantrum you threw when you had eggs on your burrito. So I was afraid of what your reaction might be. We can tell that story later. But you you really surprised me by saying, I think you'd be a good member of Congress. Why don't we pray about it? And we prayed right there in your office that, that God would give me insight and let me know the right thing to do. And so I ended up over the weekend calling a lot of people back home and, and really considering it and decided I was going to do it. So then I practiced a speech all Sunday in front of the mirror to tell you that I was going to run, but how much you meant to me. And I shaved over the weekend. I had a full beard at the time, but figured I'd better get rid of that beard. And so I was in the office on Monday pacing, waiting for you to come in from Texas so I could tell you. And you walked in and said, oh, you shaved. I guess you're running. So there went my whole speech and my plan to tell you that, that I was going to do it. But once again, you had the insight. As I said, I, th- I think being a staffer and observing members of Congress for, for a number of years really helped me 
avoid some pitfalls, maybe focus more on what's what's important. But I think the biggest difference for me was when I was your chief of staff, I cared about your constituents. And I took the responsibility you had as a member very seriously and that we had as your staff to help you do the job you you wanted to do. But but once I became a member of Congress and swore that oath to represent my district and the people that elected me, the weight of that is a lot heavier. People like you and I that, that serve take it very seriously that we are the voice of 700,000 plus people and they're counting on us to make the best decisions we can based on the, the information that we can gather. And it is a, a huge responsibility. And, you know, I have the honor of representing Fort Bragg, largest army base in the world, the men and women who serve there and their families. And in particular, the weight of being their voice is, is a heavy one. It's really an honor. North Carolina's redistricted. Did your, how did your district change for, uh, for the next Congress? Well, I've got my fourth new district in 10 years. We've, we've had a number of lawsuits in North Carolina, and my district seems to be the one that changes the most every time. Uh, I've represented almost 20 of our 100 counties, a, a significant part of our state. In this last round, the Republicans drew a map that, that gave me a new media market and a whole new district. And I was going around to those communities, getting to know them. And then the Democrat-controlled state court actually threw that map out and then replaced it with a partisan gerrymander. That gives us, you know, we used to have 10 Republicans in North Carolina. We've gained a seat, but under this Democrat map, it's going to be an 8-6 Republican to Democrat spread. It's a really bad partisan gerrymander. It divides communities of interest. It splits the African-American community in Charlotte. And in my case, it combined what drew my house into a Democrat Charlotte district that's represented by Alma Adams now. And then it, it combined the 8th and 9th district and, and sort of split them out. In a, in a different way. And so basically it looked, you know, it looks like they were trying to knock me off, but what they did is took the Eastern half of my district and made a, a district that has Fort Bragg, Moore County, a uh, number of the counties I've represented. And so I made a decision to move. We're actually going to sell our house in, in, out in the Charlotte suburbs and move to Moore County, which is a uh, Pioneer Southern Pines area so that I can continue to represent Fort Bragg. So pretty significant impact on my family. But it's a it's a district where I've represented eight of the nine counties. And so it's it's communities I know very well. And so long term, I think it'll be a good thing for me. You've moved up into uh, what we refer to as elected leadership. I believe you hold the position of conference secretary. What does that mean and what, what are those responsibilities? Kevin McCarthy called me the Friday after the election last year and, and told me there was going to be a vacancy in this position. And he wanted me to consider running. And I had been chief of staff to John Carter when he held the conference secretary position. So I knew that there wasn't much of a job description on this job. Basically, you take notes at the meetings and it's, you know, it's, it's good that you're in the meetings. So you're, you attend all the leadership meetings, but, but there's really no other job description. And so what I said to him was, I'll do it, but you got to give me something real to do. And so we sat down later and, and came up with this idea that because I'd been a district director and a chief of staff, that I'd open freshman offices in both those roles, as well as I went through the experience as a freshman member of Congress, that I thought I could help our current freshman class really get off to a quick start. You know, one of the things I've observed over the years, I'm sure you did too, is that some members come in and immediately sort of figure it out and find ways to be effective. Other members, it takes them a while to, to sort of figure out how to be effective for their districts. And so, so what we did is create a program called Hitting the Ground Running, it's the name of a, a book, big three-ring binder book that every freshman gets. But we actually create a program to wrap around these freshmen and, and work with them for two years. So we we sat down with every single, it's now 50 freshmen, and helped them set up their office. 
talked to him about how to answer constituent mail, actually gave him sample letters to answer constituent mail. We talked to him about their district office setup, talked to him, you know, about all the different aspects of communicating with your constituents. And, you know, in some cases, these folks would have figured it out, but, but we brought them best practices and things so they can be efficient. And in other cases, you know, I think we've made a huge difference for, for freshmen that, that might have had a slower start because they just don't have a background, you know, in a legislative body. So, so this, is, this has been sort of a, a new thing we've done, and it's been very successful, and, and we've gotten a lot of feedback. But the, but the number of Frank Mail pieces this freshman class has sent breaks all records. The number of online was Facebook or Instagram or Twitter communications is way up. We feel like this freshman class is going to be stronger than any uh, heading into their first re-election. So help the, help the listeners understand 50 out of how many, what's the percentage is that of, the, of your uh, Republican conference? So we have 212, I think is the number. About but, a quarter, yeah. about a quarter <laughs> of the Republicans will be better members quicker based on that, uh, that war. That's, uh, I had not heard that explanation before. So Richard serves on the powerful Energy and Commerce Committee. It's a very difficult committee to get on. Everybody wants to be on either that or one of the other eight committees, but Richard got a slot there. Briefly, you can't say briefly in, in jurisdiction, energy, commerce, really the same sentence, but give the listeners a sense of what the Energy Commerce Committee oversees. The Energy Commerce Committee, one of the reasons I wanted to be on that committee was because of the broad jurisdiction. One of the issues that I learned a whole lot about working with you and, and visiting the Permian Basin of Texas is the energy issue. And I, I came to understand from you just how important energy is to our economy and our ability to grow as a country and and how important it is to have an abundant, affordable source of energy and, and the ability to export it. And I think a lot of people are now waking up to how important that is when you see what's happening in Europe and the stranglehold Russia has over Europe. But energy is a big one. Healthcare, uh, telecom, digital privacy. Uh, there, there's just a, a ton of jurisdiction there. A lot of really important issues. I've served on the Energy Committee. Um, I actually moved over to the Environment Committee this Congress because I think from the regulatory side, I can have more impact on the energy front. And then I'm, I'm on the telecommunications committee and the health subcommittee. My sense is there's a, there's a great expectation that Republicans will take control of the House representatives. Where do you think the Energy Commerce Committee will move with that new, the new mandate or the new majority, uh, having the gavels for the committee and the chairmanship and the uh, subcommittee chairmanships? Where do you think the Energy Commerce Committee will, uh, uh, will focus? We've got to keep in mind that We'll have control of the House, and we might even get control of the Senate. I mean, things are looking pretty good. There's going to be some very tight races around the country that will determine who's the majority in the Senate. But, but even if we take control of the Senate, we won't have 60 votes. And so we're going to have to work with Democrat senators, and then we're obviously going to have a Democrat president. So, you know, we're going to be limited in what we can do. But what we've decided is, is we're going to advance policy that is the right policy for America out of the House and then see if President Biden will work with us on some of these issues. So, so we're on the issue on the issue of energy, for example, we're going to be working really hard to get back to energy independence. We're going to make sure we're going to look at policies that roll back some of the regulations that don't actually protect the environment, but slow down energy production in this country. We're going to look at what we can do to encourage more American energy exploration. You're going to see some really good legislation coming out of, of energy and commerce on that front. On healthcare, you know, we're looking at, at ways to make healthcare more affordable, to make it more personal, to give individuals more choice. You know, the Democrats' view of healthcare is a one-size-fits-all, let the government take care of you view. And our view is every individual is different, every family is different, and you ought to be able to decide on your family's behalf what kind of healthcare you need. 
and, and it needs to be affordable. Big tech is an issue we're really looking at. I feel like big tech has gotten out of control to, to the point where they're censoring free speech. And so we're going to, that's definitely something we're going to look at. And then holding China accountable. You know, I think one of my biggest criticisms of the current administration is I don't think they take China seriously enough. And so you're going to see a lot of legislation coming out of our committee. But probably the biggest impact we're going to have in the majority next year is just going to be our oversight role. You know, we're going to bring in the Secretary of Energy and, and talk about the Biden policies that have strangled the American energy production. Ask her why we aren't getting permits. Uh, ask her why we aren't having uh, liquefied natural gas terminals approved. I think the oversight piece that we'll be able to do, we don't need a Senate vote for that. I think we may have our biggest impact. You hit on the what a, a topic I've been having some conversation with some of your colleagues on, and that is this issue of having the House of Representatives a majority there, but not over-promising and under-delivering during the campaign. And you hit both both points. Uh, 60 votes in the Senate will still be there. I don't anticipate, even if McConnell took the majority back, that he would change that uh, filibuster rule. And we'll have uh, President Biden for two more years in that regard. And that does limit what will actually ultimately get done. But managing expectations, being aspirational, but still managing expectations is, uh, I believe, I agree with you. You briefly talked on it a little bit, but but I, it's my sense that the, the current administration has painted themselves in a corner with respect to fossil fuels and, and crude oil production in America, natural gas production in America, under this idea that it's either use fossil fuels and have a dirty environment or have a clean environment and don't use the fossil fuels at all. And I think that's a false choice. What's your sense of the, of the uh, you know, expand a little bit on the, the Biden administration's policy limiting U.S. production and but encouraging production from some folks who may not be our best friends? Well, you're exactly right. You know, the Biden administration is so hypocritical that they're begging, you know, the dictator of Venezuela, who we've asserted has committed crimes against humanity to produce more energy for us. We're asking, you know, the, the Arab Gulf states to uh produce more energy. We've asked Russia early on to produce more energy for us. And yet we have jobs right here in America uh, in the industry where we could be producing American source of energy, putting more people at work, creating more prosperity, lowering our prices. Uh, It's just backwards. And if you look at the, if you're concerned about carbon, if you're concerned about climate, the American energy industry has actually done more to clean the environment than any other energy provider in the world. The United States alone in the last 20 years has reduced emissions more than the next 12 countries combined. And it's because of technology and innovation in the industry. It's because of horizontal drilling. It's because of fracking technologies. It's because we're able to get natural gas out of the earth cheaper. And and because we're using more natural gas, we've reduced our emissions beyond what even the Paris Climate Accord would have called for. I think the solution is innovation and technology and not government mandates and not certainly not letting other people produce energy. You know, a barrel of oil from Russia has a much bigger carbon footprint than a barrel of oil produced by Canada or the United States because, you know, we have regulations and we have better practices. And so if you want to reduce impact on the climate, then you want, then you should be in favor of American energy production. Well, amen to that. I think you're spot on that deal. On a little bit lighter note, how's it, how is it being a dad? I think uh, Lane is, five or six years old now what's it like being a dad well that's that's my that's my most important title (laughs) lane is six he'll be seven in september it's hard to believe you warned me that time would fly and i felt like i was paying attention but it's it is really flying i really try to make a priority for my family you know how this lifestyle is tough you know a lot of demands on us on our time but i'm uh i was an assistant coach on his basketball team 
and made all but about two of his games. Really have enjoyed just playing in sports with him. We're getting ready to start soccer and t-ball. He is all about sports and just full of energy and life. And we've got him in a uh, Christian classical school, and it's just incredible, those young minds, how much they can learn. I mean, he's counting in Latin. He's reading on probably a second grade level and just has a heart for the Lord that just, you know, it's just incredible. I'm very, very blessed. Has he been on his first turkey hunt or deer hunt? I took him on his first deer hunt this year after Thanksgiving, and uh, he did great. You know, I, I took him to a buddy's place because I knew he'd have big, comfortable stands, and he also has those feeders that go off at the same time, so I knew the likelihood of seeing some deer would be pretty good. And, but I expected I'd get about 20 minutes out of him, so we brought his BB gun and some targets for uh, when he was ready to get out of the stand. But he stayed in the deer stand for two hours. We saw six deer and 20 turkey, and he whispered the whole time. He was, you know, really did a good job, but right about dusk, we had a couple of deer out there and uh, eating the clover. And uh, I was thinking, man, we're going to see some bucks here. This is going to be perfect. He said, Daddy, I'm, I'm bored. I want to get down. <laughs> I said, Lane, if we can just wait a few more minutes, we're going to see a big deer. He said, I don't care. I'm bored. So we got down and we got his target set up and let him shoot the TV gun. So uh, he had a good time. It was a good first outing. Without naming names or, or necessarily, who are some of the colleagues that, that you find have the best sense of humor? Oh, man. Well, Billy Long is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, Billy Long could be a stand-up comedian. I hope he's going to be a senator, but he it, that guy is hysterical. He keeps us laughing all the time. Randy Weber from your state has the worst dad jokes of any in America, but I can't help laugh at him. Randy's, I think, is hilarious. You know, Don Young, such a shock that he passed, but Don Young was one of my favorite members of Congress. He passed last Friday. I actually, on Wednesday for some reason, just decided to sit down and talk with him on the house floor during a long boat series. And I love just getting him telling stories of when he was a trapper, a female member of Congress came up and joined us and she made a remark about jumping out of a birthday cake. And he says, well, you know, I, I have a rabbit hair, what do you call it? A bikini bottom. We're like, what? So he tells us this story of how an Eskimo in Alaska, who was a partner of his when he was a trapper, had shown him that if you, if you wear rabbit underwear, when it's real cold, it'll keep you warm. So he, he told the story of his, his rabbit underwear. Um, hysterical. All right, one last thing, and, and that I understand at one point in time, you hung up on uh, George W. Bush, who's a really good friend of mine. So why'd you hang up on, was he president at the time? Oh, my gosh. I don't know how you got this story out of me. This, this, is, this is one of my most embarrassing moments. I was actually working for Robin Hayes, who was a congressman in the district I represent now. I was his district director and campaign manager. President Bush was president at the time. And we were in the war room on election night. It was one of those elections where you didn't know whether you're going to win or lose on election day. Uh, real tight race. And we were in the in this conference room having returns come in. And we thought we were okay. We, we weren't quite ready to say we'd won. And then the phone, my cell phone rang, and I'd given it to the White House political director. And I answered, and it said, the President of the United States is on the line for Congressman Hayes. And it was back in the days of Blackberries. And so I I said, Robin, Robin, and I handed him my Blackberry. And somehow in the process of transferring the phone, I hung up on the president of the United States. Fortunately, he did call back, but, but that was not my finest moment. Well, Richard, thank you so very much for joining us today and, and helping our listeners understand a little bit of what it's like to be a former staffer and now a valued member of the Republican Party. Listeners, uh, one of the good things that being a member, you get to watch good people continue on and serve our nation. I'm looking forward to seeing Richard serve and the House of Representatives, quite frankly, as long as he and Renee want to. So he's, uh, he's doing a great job. We're looking for great things out of him. 
Richard, thanks again, buddy, for being on our program. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, Mike.